This is a 3CR community radio podcast, and Psychedelia is broadcast every Sunday from 2pm. For more info on anything you hear in the show, head to 3cr.org.au and follow the links to the Psychedelia program page. Uh, good afternoon and welcome to Psychedelia on this uh, chilly Sunday afternoon. Uh, it is two o'clock. Thank you to Freedom of Species, who will be back next week from one o'clock. Uh, if you want more information about them, 3cr.org.au is the place to go. Uh, you can find out uh, all, all sorts of information about all the shows that you hear on 3CR. Um, a lot of us have podcasts, so if you miss a show, don't worry. You can subscribe to the podcast as well. Uh, in Psychedelia Podcast is relatively up to date at the moment, which is uh, uh, a good thing, and I'm going to try and uh, stay on top of that for you. If you are a uh, podcast listener, um, then I... Uh, I hope that you're enjoying having the shows up to date. Uh, today on the program, we are going to be chatting. I mean, we've, we've had the budget this week, so we're going to be talking about the budget this week. You all know the story we're going to be talking about. 5,000 people. It's going to be a test on welfare. They're going to get drug tested. That's the uh, that's the, the the policy as it is as it stands at the moment. We don't know whether or not that's uh, going to end up actually happening. We've got to follow up and see uh, what's going to happen. It certainly has garnered a lot of attention from people uh, who have pointed out that uh, it's not a very nice thing to do. It's not a very effective thing to do. It's not something that's going to help those who have problems with drugs uh, to get off those drugs. Uh, And it's not going to be a very effective use of taxpayers' money uh, to run an expensive, invasive program on people who are already... uh, probably uh, having some having some difficulties usually if people are on welfare they don't want to be on welfare let's let's get rid of let's dispel this myth of the the person that's just on welfare all the time because oh life is better on welfare that's bollocks that's a sort of uh, class nonsense attack that uh, people make when they're just I want to I want to make attacks like that I suppose uh, it's it's ooh, what's that noise what's that ooh. Uh, so we, we, we are going to be talking about that uh, a bit later on with AVIL, the Australian Injecting and Drug Users League. Um, we're also going to be talking, uh, finding out a little bit more about what's been happening with the High Alert campaign in response to Operation Safe Night. Operation Safe Night, a police campaign uh, which is sending sniffer dogs out onto the streets of uh, Chapel Street and surrounding areas uh, to uh, apparently uh, keep people safe. Keep people safe. Uh, these these are people who take drugs, uh, and apparently they need to have those drugs uh, forcefully taken off them, and that's the only way that we can keep them safe, by charging them, by giving them criminal records, by, you know, ensuring that they know that they're a bad person for trying to do Russian roulette on themselves, as the, uh, as the police are very fond of saying. Uh, this uh, campaign has been responded to with uh, High Alert, which is uh, informing people on the streets about what's going on and looking to uh, stop this from happening. Uh, we are going to get into some news now, though, so let's go. And psychedelia news of the week. I don't condone or advocate that everyone should use illicit drugs. I think it's a, a huge decision made with the right amount of research and forethought. The intention is to discourage ICE use. The actual effect is it encourages the stigmatisation of people who use this drug. The risk 
there is people are less likely to disclose their use even when they're experiencing some issues. So they're less likely to access essential health services. The potential for harm increases. People feel hesitant to be open about who they are because they're afraid of judgment from family members or people at work or or just people in society in general. Many of them have conservative mindsets regardless of their politics uh, and will just say, oh well, then the, the, the government are not looking after us and therefore it seems a law and order issue rather than a a social problem that needs to be dealt with on, on a public health basis. Drug news from Melbourne and around the world. Off the top today, aodmediawatch.com.au has uh, written a piece. Uh, this comes from Alex Wodak from the um, Australian Drug Law Reform Foundation. Uh, written a piece on, on a piece that was in the uh, Daily Telegraph in Sydney, uh, which uh, carried a, a, a fairly stigmatising headline uh, when it was first uh, published. The headline... Uh, if I can bring it up, it actually it's got a new headline now, so maybe the, a, a shot in the heart. Our drug crisis laid bare, but the original title was "Junkie Shame on Sydney's Streets." Uh, and it was on uh, page four to five of the Daily Telegraph, but it led with the front page. There was a big uh, front page picture of a uh, a man looking fairly dishevelled, sitting uh, in the on the curb, um, injecting uh, in Sydney. And apparently, this was actually quite close to the Daily Telegraph offices, so they didn't have to go f- uh, very far for this uh, appalling piece of news. Alex Wodak uh, has written about this and, and just sort of pointed out the uh, the, the s- incredibly stigmatising language uh, that has gone into creating this piece, um, and 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 all for what? What is the point of uh, of doing this? They're just trying to 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 drum up fear, really. Uh, I think it had had quotes in there. The uh, article uh, had quotes in there from Police Minister Troy Grant, who we've heard a little bit bit about before, and is a uh, very much a law and order man when it comes to drug issues. A response that has been shown to uh, generally exacerbate problems. Um, uh, Alex says coverage of problems associated with little uh, with illicit drugs is more extensive in the media than coverage of problems associated with legal drugs such as alcohol. Consequently, it is hardly surprising that illicit drugs are perceived as a much more salient issue by the uh, for the community than legal drugs, and that the community often reacts excessively to illicit drugs and more permissively to the greater problems associated with legal drugs. Many readers will interpret the description of the man photographed as a dead eyed addict as an indication that the man photographed is a typical result of the use of illicit drugs. Uh, the victimless crime of public drunkenness used to uh, used to be an offence in New South Wales until the 1970s. It is still an offence in Victorian Queensland. Many of the same arguments heard now in the debates about the reliance on law enforcement to control illegal drugs were heard when the New South Wales RAN government uh, removed public drunkenness as an offence in New South Wales. So long as the person is not harming others, their state of consciousness should be uh, should not be the business of law enforcement. Um, it was also pointed out by uh, Alex, that there is uh, a, a safe injecting centre in Sydney, the King's Cross Medically Supervised Injecting Centre, uh, which he helped to set up. Um, it's been open since 2001. 
and uh, there are plenty of reports showing that it's um it's been quite successful at uh, doing what it does, which is to uh, reduce the harms of illicit drug using in the community and uh, also reduce any proximity harms uh, that might be associated with those uh, drugs. So some of the proximity harms could be uh, said to be things like uh, needle litter in the streets, um, like... Uh, 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 maybe some behavioural uh, issues that might uh, that might end up going on because of the uh, because of the market uh, that's being operated around that area. A lot of these issues are much better addressed with a supervised uh, injecting centre where people can then also access. It's not just about having a safe place for people to use where um, they can uh, receive medical assistance if required, but it's also about having a place where then they can engage with professionals very quickly and easily. It removes a lot of the stigma um, and uh, they can get any help that they might be looking for. That's the point of these sorts of things. And that's what we should be pushing toward, not running front page articles, uh, stigmatizing people uh, for the uh, for the substances that they choose to use. Uh, not saying that those, uh, those choices are necessarily good or bad. The point is that um, if we stigmatize, we don't make anything any better. And do we want to just, uh, just you know, get up on high horses and uh, attack? Or do we want to try and make people's lives better. I think the latter. Last weekend was the uh, 25th Mardi Gras celebration. That's grass with a double S. That's in Nimbin. Uh, Nimbin Mardi Gras has been running for 25 years now up uh, up in Nimbin, uh, run by the Hemp Embassy uh, and uh, a few other groups uh, up there. And it's, uh, it's a celebration of cannabis and cannabis culture and also a uh, protest of sorts uh, against the prohibition of cannabis um, and all of those uh, who uh, receive punishment for using cannabis. Uh, Dr. Samuel Douglas has uh, had a uh, had a bit written a piece for the Independent Australia uh, talking about uh, the politics uh, going on at the moment with cannabis because we have seen a lot of movement around uh, cannabis law reform, uh, specifically in Australia around medical cannabis. Um, what that has actually, uh, I mean, how successful that has been so far is uh, certainly still a, uh, a question that hangs in the air because there's a number of problems uh, with the policies so far. It does look like it's been over-bureaucratised uh, for this fear um, that uh, that uh, without doing that we might unleash the evil uh, cannabis on people that might not use it for medical reasons uh, we couldn't have that could we um, and uh, a lot of it has ended up being uh, a lot of the medical cannabis has ended up being uh, uh, some a, a few uh, pharmaceutical companies uh, who are working in the area of uh, medical cannabinoids are now synthesizing uh, medical uh, oh, sorry synthesizing uh, uh, cannabinoids um, which are being used as the medicine, which isn't what most people think of when they think of uh, medical cannabis. You're thinking of the plant itself, but that's not what's going on. Anyway, uh, Dr. Sam Douglas uh, talks about... uh the uh, debate and what's going on. Uh, he says the notion that people can and should make choices for themselves sits at the core of liberal democracy. It's also a big part of respecting a people as people. If you don't respect someone's autonomy, their right or ability to choose, then how much do you actually respect them? If you believe that choice has any value, then taking people's choice away requires some justification. Broadly speaking, reducing harm is good and causing harm is bad. Sometimes it's unavoidable, but it's not a huge stretch to say that it's not okay to harm someone unless there's some other good reason to do so. 
Based on these two ideas, that choice is good and harm is bad, it follows that we should aim for a society where we give individuals the most choice for the least harm to themselves and the community. How might we do this? Sometimes this might be prohibiting very dangerous activities like drink driving or train surfing, uh, but in other cases, individuals can achieve good outcomes for themselves and those around them if they, ju- if they have good choices available. There's no law saying that you must eat fruit and vegetables, and yet plenty of people manage to do so. Uh, he goes on to talk about um, what's been happening uh, around uh, the... Uh, law around cannabis. Uh, in particular, he, he points out now that um, uh, even even though uh, we have prohibition against all these um, all these uh, you know bad drugs, so called, uh, we still keep seeing new drugs. And we saw over the past uh, 10, 15 years the emergence of a number of novel psychoactive substances, a number of new drugs uh, that have been sold in all sorts of places, tobacconists, adult stores, uh, even in some just sort of uh, uh, junk stores, even uh, in um, some grocery stores, corner stores, uh, news agents, that sort of thing. So these, these were being sold uh, unregulated um, with little known about their effects. Um, and we know now that some of them can be quite dangerous. We also know that some of them are quite benign as well. It's There's so many of them, and they're just as unique and different as every other chemical. Um, and the main thing is we don't have a lot of knowledge about them, but the reason why they came along, like synthetic ca- cannabinoids, is because people wanted cannabis. The vast majority of people, and I've seen some surveys on this, the vast majority of people, when asked, uh, you know, why do you choose to use this? It's because of reasons like they don't want to engage with the black market. So they feel like because they're not engaging with an illegal uh, 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 entity uh, that they might be, oh, excuse me, um, a little better off because uh, then they're not breaking the law and, and people don't want to break the law or uh, people might want to be able to engage with somebody where uh, they're, they're, um, they're, they're in, a, in a store. Some people are comfortable with that sort of environment. Uh, the point is that, that people are doing this because of the failures of prohibition um, and that's why we need to look at changing those laws. Um, he uh, said that there's a number of supporters um, uh, like... Uh, Richard Di Natale and uh, Mehreen Faraqui, I hope I pronounced that right, New South Wales Greens MP, Uh, also Fiona Patton in Victoria um, from the Australian Sex Party, Um, but both uh, Labor and the Coalition uh, are still dragging their feet on the issue. Uh, Senator David Lionhelm as well from the LDP uh, has been pushing it uh, uh, a little bit and he had a um, uh, nanny state inquiry, but he seems, uh, Sam points out now that he seems more interested in pursuing the freedoms relating to having more guns and paying less tax. Uh, so that that was from uh, Nimbin Mardi Gras, and if you want to find out more on that story, Independent Australia is uh, is the website. Uh, crowdfunders greenlight uh, world's first LSD microdosing study. Uh, so there's been a lot of talk about microdosing, as you're uh, probably aware. Uh, microdosing is using small amounts, uh, sub psychoactive amounts of psychedelics so they don't really have the uh, perceptible um, psychoactive effects that most people are um, uh, aware of um, uh, and using those as sort of um, in- enhancement tools uh, that might be able to to help them uh, with various various tasks with uh, with cognition uh, and uh, all-, all sorts of things so uh, 
the Beckley Foundation in the UK. They're a uh, a group that uh, focuses on uh, studying uh, psychedelics like LSD and uh, psilocybin, um, and I think they've also done a little bit of uh, study on MDMA. Uh, they're uh, looking to conduct a study on microdosing to find out just what the sorts of effects are. Uh, they're aiming to raise $2 million in a crowdfunding campaign at the moment, um, and they'll be looking... Uh, at the effect of 10, 20, or 50 microgram doses of LSD on 20 participants. So small sample size, but you've got to start somewhere with these sorts of studies. Um, and they're going to uh, quantify these uh, effects through MRI uh, brain scans. Um, the Because of uh, LSD's uh, still prohibited nature, um, research organisations like Beckley Foundation can't bank on public institutions for funding, which is why they're crowdfunding uh, for this study. So if you want to found, find out more about this, uh, the best place to go is the Australian Psychedelic Society. Um, and uh, and you can find out uh, plenty of stuff there. And also the Australian Psychedelic Society uh, held a uh, event uh, last weekend in Belgrave um, focused on uh, psilocybin mushrooms. Excuse me, I've had, had a bit of a flu this week as uh, seems to be going around. Oh, um the uh, discussions last week uh, at uh, the Psychedelic Society meeting were around um, mushrooms, uh, everything from culinary to poisonous and uh, obviously the psilocybes as well. Um, and one of the uh, it was it was an excellent afternoon. Uh, one of the one of the things that um, uh, should be noted as well is that if if anybody is uh, interested in mushrooms, uh, it, it is really important, um, no matter what kind of mushrooms you might be interested in, if you're foraging, it's really important to understand what you're doing uh, when you're going out there, how to identify mushrooms, uh, because um, every different variety that you might be looking for has another kind of mushroom uh, that might be quite uh, dangerous as well. And it's important to know those differences. Uh, it was about six years ago, five years ago, <coughs> that a, uh, a lady in Canberra, I believe, passed away after she thought she had uh, got some... Uh, uh, some culinary mushrooms that she'd cooked up. Um, uh, unfortunately, she had picked uh, the, uh, I think it was a death cap mushroom. I can't remember the um, the official name of it off the top of my head, but these mushrooms um, will, uh, I, I think it pretty much kills your liver. It's got a toxin in there that just constantly attacks your liver um, until... Uh, few, it takes days as well, um, and and you die from it. It's not it's not at all a pleasant way uh, to pass away. But this is why people need to be cautious. Um, but the the caution um, should be about uh, not not um, completely discarding the uh, the desire to go and forage for mushrooms. I think it, it's something that happens that that's throughout European cultures. And I think it's something that should be encouraged um, here. But the important thing is that people really. <coughs> need to know uh, what they're looking for, how to identify these things, and, and be really careful. If you don't know what it is for sure, 100%, then throw it away. Don't, don't put it in your meal. Don't put it in your, in your mouth. Just get rid of it. Um, I've got a, a couple more news stories, but I'm <laughs> a bit phlegmy at the moment. Sorry, it's a, a bit gross, but uh, you know that's what happens when you're sick. So I'm going to play a song for you. Uh, this one is from the Temple Step Project based out in uh, Byron Bay, uh, and this is uh, Our Honey Temple. And I'll just... Um, on 3CR Community Radio, 855am digital, and streaming at the website, 3cr.org.au. 
In 2016, 3CR published a book to celebrate the station's 40th birthday. Years in the making, Radical Radio, celebrating 40 years of 3CR, is a visually stunning account of the people and ideas that make up this dynamic station. At 300 pages, the book includes hundreds of images and over 50 features on programs, people, music and technology from across the decades. You can get your copy of 3CR's book for $49.50 at the station during business hours at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy. Or online at 3cr.org. .au forward slash shop. Get a piece of your own history. 3CR's Radical Radio is available now. And you are listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855am digital and streaming at the website 3cr.org.au. My name is Nick Wallace. You are uh, listening to In Psychedelia where we're covering uh, all things drugs. The intersection of drugs uh, and society is uh, sort of where we're looking. There's a broad range of issues uh, at those intersections. Um, and now uh, we're talking about plans this week uh, from the uh, federal budget uh, to test welfare recipients um, for uh, for drugs and then to uh, uh, basically make sure that or change the way that they receive welfare based on whether those tests are positive or not. Um, the uh, plan is for 5,000 people uh, to be tested uh, over two years. This is a, a trial, they're saying, um, and the trial sites where people will be randomly tested are yet uh, to be... Uh, uh, to be announced, uh, the sort of testing is likely to be urine, saliva, or hair. Um, they've all been flagged uh, as possible, although it looks likely that saliva testing is uh, is going to be uh, how it's going to happen. Uh, Scott Morrison has indicated that wastewater testing will likely be uh, the uh, the the metric used to determine the location of where testing will be. A number of people have come out this week and um, pointed out just how, uh, how how much of a bad idea uh, this is for a whole range of reasons. And right now on the line uh, from AVIL, the Australian Injecting and Illicit Drug Users League, uh, Melanie Walker, the CEO. Mel- Melanie, welcome to In Psychedelia. Hi, Nick. How are you going this afternoon? I'm I'm very well, and uh, uh, happy Mother's Day to your mum as well. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, I've got two little children, and I was very very happy when they cooked me pancakes this morning. So it's been an exciting day. Wow, that is very nice of them. Um, I've got a two year old. She's not quite to making pancakes uh, <laughs> point yet, uh, but but one day we hope. Uh, so we saw this week the announcement that. Um, 5,000 welfare recipients are going to be uh, drug tested uh, and apparently this is, uh, this is to help them. Um, what, what, are we, what, are we, uh, what are your thoughts on this, uh, on this plan and this uh, idea that we can help people by testing them and then um, uh, changing the way they receive welfare um, based on the results? Well, there's a bit of a problem with the concept, Nick, unfortunately, um, and that is that we currently have about 200, somewhere between 200,000 and 500,000 people in Australia each year who are being turned away from drug treatment because there simply not, aren't enough places for the people who already need them. So, you know, the whole idea that we can sort of coerce people into treatment is a little bit wrong-headed. What we actually need is treatment places for the people who already know they need them. So, you know, I mean, before you even get into whether drug testing is a good idea, 
at all. Um, it's been tried in a number of other countries. And interestingly, when they've um, drug tested a cohort of welfare recipients in other countries where they've tried it, they've actually found that the welfare recipients use less drugs than the general population. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, there's a whole heap of questions around these measures, but I think when it comes down to it, there's no point referring people for treatment beds that they just don't exist. Was there uh, any announcements in the budget for more funding for uh, things like uh, treatment beds? No, unfortunately, is the short answer to that question. Um, You would think that if you were going to introduce a measure that was designed to increase the demand for drug treatment, and if you'd commissioned a study in the last couple of years that said that you needed to double the number of places you already had, that it might be sensible to invest the money in drug treatment. But unfortunately, that hasn't been the case this year either. So I don't know. I mean, it does look like there's a bit of a disconnect between health approaches and some of the approaches in other portfolio areas. And I'm really hopeful that if we can point out some of the problems with this trial idea, then perhaps the government might reconsider it and um, reinvest that money in drug treatment. At the moment, um, harm reduction uh, receives uh, the lowest amount of uh, money uh, in the overall uh, drug budget. Um, treatment receives, I think, about 20% of the pie, while the vast majority goes to uh, policing. Um, this this has uh, been shown to be an, an issue because um, the uh, a lot of organisations that are working in this area are often under-resourced and overstretched. Um, and as you say, there's a number of people uh, hundreds of thousands of people uh, that are, are looking for treatment um, but can't get it right now. Why do we end up with things like this welfare testing idea? Why does this happen? What's going on in the upper echelons of the federal government um, that they're, they opt for these options when there are intelligent people that have been working on these issues for so long telling them this is a bad idea? Oh, look, I think, you know, we can only guess at what might happen, but these measures in relation to drug testing of welfare recipients come out of the social services portfolio rather than the health portfolio. So perhaps there's a lack of understanding there of the issues around drug treatment and and the lack of resourcing there. That's the only thing that I can maybe guess at. And I mean, you know, on the face of it, as a populist measure, the idea that we'll drug test people, identify a problem and help them get treatment, I can see how on the face of it that's an appealing idea. It's only when you know that there's this huge lack of treatment capacity that you realise that, yeah, it's it's actually not a measure that's needed and it's actually not a measure that's going to be particularly helpful if we're going to drug test people and then not actually be able to provide them with assistance. And, you know, what you're saying is right about harm reduction initiatives as well. We've got a new draft national drug strategy that has a very strong focus on harm reduction and it refers specifically to things like creating safer settings, safe transport and sobering up services, BBB prevention, reducing driving under the influence of alcohol and drugs and diversion initiatives, and yet we haven't seen any resourcing in the federal budget this year for any of those initiatives. So I think, you know, in many areas um, the government's got the right idea, but it's just in the follow-through that sometimes they might need a little bit of assistance, and we just think that there's no point drug testing people when we actually have a whole huge cohort of people who want to go to treatment and can't get there. So hopefully we can, you know, communicate this to the government and they might change their minds and um, direct the funds somewhere a little more helpful. 
We have heard a lot of rhetoric over the past um, few years, probably since um, I think it might have been uh, Tony Abbott or maybe before uh, Tony Abbott. Uh, actually, no, it might. Yeah, it might, it's been been a while now that the uh, that ice has been on the mind of Australians. Uh, that there's uh, this uh, so-called uh, ice epidemic, which we uh, know is not an epidemic. Um, and we saw. I, I mean, recently there was a, a front page on the Daily Telegraph uh, with a uh, man uh, looking sort of dishevelled and injecting uh, in the streets. Uh, is is the reality of drug use? Are we seeing at the moment really much more problems than we have in the past, or is there just a particular political focus on it at the moment? What are the what are the statistics say? What's actually happening behind the headlines? In terms of methamphetamine use, um, there hasn't been an increase in use of amphetamine type stimulants. There has been a shift though in use, so that um, people who are using stimulants are tending to use more potent stimulants. So people moving from speed to smoking ice. So there is a demonstration of that. But in terms of overall use rates, no, there's there's really not not an ice epidemic at the moment. But, you know, in terms of responses to that, the government allocated uh, another 5% um, last budget on top of what it had previously allocated for drug treatment initiatives. And, you know, whether we're talking about an ice epidemic or public order issues in terms of alcohol it doesn't really matter. The point of the story is is that there need to be drug and alcohol treatment places for people who need them so that they can go there for whatever substance use problem they've got. And if you have those responses in place, it goes a long way towards addressing some of the public order issues and the other issues that are often raised in connection with this. But I think, you know, when you're looking at violent crime, the, the really strong correlation there is actually still with alcohol. So... While, um, you know, some of the public education campaigns around methamphetamine have been a little bit over the top and probably pretty unrealistic, you know, the truth of the matter is is that there isn't a lot to be afraid of from a community perspective and we are still talking about a very small proportion of the population who use amphetamine-type stimulants. Uh, are you aware, aware of aodmediawatch.com.au? No, I'm not aware of that one. Ah, I think that's something you should check out. AODmediawatch.com.au is a uh, a resource, um, a resource, and also a, a a website for response to um, some of the uh, news stories that get put out. And Alex Wodak uh, put together an article. Uh, just, I, I don't know if you saw that Daily Telegraph front page with the uh, with the guy using yeah, in the streets. Yeah, unfortunately, I did. Yep. Yeah, uh, it was um, it was quite uh, a shocking, uh, obvious stigma um, attempt. Um, But one of the things that uh, Alex pointed out was that uh, coverage of um, issues to do with illicit drugs is more extensive in the media than coverage uh, of problems associated with legal drugs and alcohol. And um, not only that, but um, the the public often react excessively um, toward illicit drug issues and much more per- permissively to the to similar sorts of issues or even worse issues um, associated with legal drugs. We seem to have a, a a perspective problem going on, and it's a it's a it's a very hard one to uh, it's a very hard one to to fix. What what are your thoughts on this? Um, this this sort of uh, uh, misweighed uh, uh, public discourse. I think the best thing we can do, Nick, is keep doing what we're doing and having the kind of conversations that we're having today. 
I think, you know, for the general public, if they haven't had a connection with drug and alcohol issues themselves or members of their family, it's very easy to be taken in by populist ideas, you know, and that carries across the spectrum of news, whether it be about drug and alcohol issues or about other things where particular populations are marginalised. You know, what we have to do is try and present a coherent dialogue that provides the other side of the story. And I think, you know, this drug testing of welfare recipients thing is a classic example of an initiative that might seem fair enough to mainstream audiences on the face of it, but when they realise that people can't actually be herded into drug treatment when there aren't any places, I think a lot of people would be persuaded that there's not much point in wasting money on implementing drug testing. But, you know, I think it's about continuing to have the conversations. And the other thing that's really important is to have the conversations, you know, even when you think they're going to be awkward. Um, you know, doing the media interviews with shock jocks and people like that and trying to get our point across... I think, you know, we need to be patient and kind and try and take people with us. And the best thing we can do is what we're doing now. Absolutely. Uh, one other thing that's been pointed out uh, before we finish up this afternoon, uh, Melanie, and thank you for chatting with us. Uh, but some people have uh, looked at this uh, this policy um, and gone, oh, hang on, hang on a minute. This this seems um, quite ridiculous and it, it can't. They they can't have thought that this wouldn't have been attacked from so many angles. They can't have uh, when they were writing this down in the first place in the room. Somebody must have been like, mm, "This is going to probably cop a lot of flack." And then some some people have said, "Well, maybe this was the point. Maybe the point was to get a lot of flack on this issue, and then to be able to use this issue to negotiate uh, with the parties in order to get other things across." What are your thoughts on this? I, not not uh, I'm not saying this is a conspiracy here. I'm saying that. This is often how politics works. People trade off policies uh, for for other things. So do you think that it's it's possible that this could be a bit of a, a red herring intended to outrage people, uh, but then be able to uh, get some other things that might have outraged people, but because they're focused on this, it's not as outrageous? Um, is, there, is there anything in that? Oh, look, Nick, I love a good conspiracy theory as much as the next person, but there's a lot of stuff in this budget that you'd have to shake your head and wonder a little bit about. So, you know, this this is one of those things. Um, there are a number of other things that you would have to wonder about in the budget. So, you know, it's probably not for us to speculate about what the rationale was. All we can do is try and point out how wrong-headed it is and how impractical it is in terms of not being able to actually help people into treatment when there aren't enough treatment that's available. So... You know, and the rationale of um, what's behind the budget, goodness me, I think there's a lot of people wondering about that <laughs> in Australia this week. Yep. Uh, politics is a game of um, smoke and mirrors, as always, but uh, we will respond with what they put in front of us, and that's what we have done today. <laughs> Melanie Walker, CEO of Avil, thank you for joining us on In Psychedelia and talking to us about this plan. Nice. Thanks for having me, Nick. Happy to talk to you whenever you'd like to talk to me. Thank you, Melanie, and happy Mother's Day as well. <laughs> have a good day. Thanks so much. Have a great afternoon. Bye. Melanie Walker is CEO of AVIL, the Australian Illicit and Injecting Drug Users League. They're talking about a proposed trial for 5,000 welfare recipients to be drug tested and then to have uh, their welfare uh, perhaps reduced. Uh, I think the idea was to put it on cashless cards if they uh, if they uh, happen to come up positive. Uh, also, uh, New Zealand uh, just, I, I think it was... Today or yesterday, an article was published about New Zealand uh, from from one of the uh, peak uh, AOD uh, alcohol and 
other drug organisations in New Zealand, uh, pointing out that they have done this um, and it has been quite unsuccessful and quite a waste of money um, of the amount of people that they have tested. Uh, it has been only a tiny fraction that have tested positive um, and it doesn't appear that when, when they do test positive... Uh, there's not that flow-on effect into treatment that's really working effectively um, and it does seem to be causing more problems for those people and uh, it's very expensive to conduct the testing and it's very invasive on all of those uh, who don't test positive as well. It's, It's an extra thing that you have to do. I mean, in the end... Your bodily fluids are actually your own. You you don't have to give up these things. You don't have to give your saliva or your piss or your blood to some stranger because they think that they might be able to find something wrong with you for it. I mean, this is this is sort of almost reaching into Gattaca level um, dis dystopic society stuff. But nobody cares because it's the drug users that are that, that are having it done to them. So if we're doing it to, to people that use drugs or people that don't use drugs, is the majority of the case, uh, then then it's somehow fine. But I I sort of start to wonder if there's some kind of slippery slope. We've got a lot of workplaces that are conducting drug testing now um, and uh, are are, are making that part of their, you know, part of their uh, everyday policy. And if you've got uh, a workplace where... um, if people are impaired, they could put their put people's lives in danger. That's completely understandable. You don't want to put people's lives in danger. But the sort of drug testing that's used isn't impairment-based. It's not about determining whether or not people are impaired. It's finding out what they do in their private lives, what they do on their weekends. Why should a workplace get to determine what you do outside of the workplace? They shouldn't have any say in that. But more and more, they're working toward being able to have a say in that. Not just a say in that, but starting to define how you should live your life outside of the workplace, because their thinking is is, well, you, we need you to be an effective worker in the workplace, so we need you to be happy and healthy and blah, blah, blah outside of the workplace so that you'll be a good worker here. Except then they're the ones that get to define what it is for you to be happy or healthy, and that's a dangerous precedent. That's something that we need to be very aware of. Uh, Ash has uh, just joined us in the studio. Ash, how you doing? Oh, yeah, good. A little <laughs> bit late. I was out uh, monitoring the police operation in South Yarra last night. Let's, let's play a song and have a chat about that in uh, just a tick. This is um, Mr. Bill, Soon is Monday, featuring uh, Eric Parker. Uh, and you're listening to In Psychedelia on 3CR Community Radio, 855am digital and streaming at 3cr.org.au. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
That's Mr. Bill's Soon Is Monday featuring Eric Parker. Mr. Bill is a Sydney producer currently touring in the US and collaborating with some of the biggest names in electronic music today. Uh, but on that track, you heard him collaborating with Frankston folk rocker Eric Parker. Eric is playing this coming Friday night at Compass Pizza, 319 Ligon Street, alongside Joe Oppenheimer and Tim Folks. If you want to get along to that, it's 10 bucks on the door on uh, on this Friday night. Uh, Ash, um, you were, uh, I mean, you, uh, you're here a bit late because you were out last night mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, down on Chapel Street monitoring uh, Operation Safe Night. Yeah. How was it? Well, the police didn't show up last ah. night. <laughs> well, this is the thing <laughs> they, about Operation Safe Night. They apparently did show up in St Kilda, but they, they never um, kind of fronted down Chapel Street. So we walked around, we put up some flyers, spoke to people at the nightclub. Um, gave out some information for people, letting them know what was happening and what the High Alert campaign was all about. So the High Alert campaign uh, launched on Thursday evening. Um, it, we, we did speak to Nevena uh, from High Alert last weekend about the campaign and she's uh, been speaking with a number of uh, publications. I think she's been on 3AW, she's been in the uh, in the Age, I think, as well, and mm-hmm. ABC, all sorts of places talking about this campaign. Um, how was the launch on Thursday night? Yeah, it was good. Uh, the room was pretty packed out. Uh, I don't know what the numbers were were you'd have to ask Nev um but we had a a a panel I I was on the panel with um Sophie a criminal defense lawyer um with Peter Malins um the researcher from RMIT and um uh Emily I think was the other person's name who is a um Fairfax journalist interesting and so yeah we just kind of covered a little bit about what the what the operation was why we have concerns about it um, and and the nature of the the high alert response. So the things that we're going to do out in the community to oppose the the um, police operation. So what sorts of things are is high alert going to do? So they've made contact with some lawyers that have offered um, pro bono support for anyone caught up in the operation. Um, already, there's you know we've created um, like campaign materials, so flyers and posters and those kinds of things. The the alert system, there's a text message alert system that you can sign up for through the High Alert website. That's already operational. So information was coming in last night and then getting um, relayed back out to, to people as as we found out where the, where the police were and um, which areas they were targeting. Um, and then, well, I guess just filming the police, you know, taking photographs of them. We were all set for that uh, last night. I had a spare battery pack um, on my phone because <laughs> you can drain those batteries pretty quickly. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, you know, there's a lot of uh, community support for what we're doing out there. Some of the, the nightclubs and venues um, are supportive of the program and, and have sort of said that they'll warn warn uh send send a text through to the hotline if if anything's happening in the Mm. area um i was there also the weekend before so i can give you a bit of a picture of what it looks like on the ground Yeah, because the weekend before the police were (laughs) out uh on chapel street that's right we followed them around for about um like two or three hours um the the saturday before and essentially imagine 15 to 20 uniformed police officers and um you know maybe five to ten uh plainclothes officers gathering on a corner you know getting their little little huddle together and then walking down to the line of a nightclub forming a perimeter where the police kind of surround the line outside a a nightclub and then they bring the sniffer dog in to to detect people that's a bit intimidating um, isn't it (laughs) it's quite intimidating and um 
And then as the as the dog like indicates that somebody might have the presence of, of illicit Enlist, substances yep. on them, then the plainclothes officers come in and, and search them. So they searched there in the line, That's just correct. just their pockets and just and their pockets and their bags, like taking off their shoes. Right. Um, as far as I know, shoes as well. The right. shoes as well. Yeah, well, yeah. Got, got a double knot on your shoes, and well, you've well, had a couple I, of drinks already. It's quite annoying. Yeah, it sounds <laughs> um, pretty annoying. So within this, you know, we probably saw several hundred people subjected to this process. So surrounded, and then. You know, sniff a dog coming along. Take and, your shoes and most off. people it didn't indicate on, but, you know, even for the people that it did indicate uh, for, most of them didn't seem to have drugs in their possession. Mm. Um, so we're talking about hundreds of people surrounded, intimidated, um, dozens of people searched, and the grand total of what they discovered on that night was um, 10 people in possession of substances, which resulted in nine drug diversions and uh, one charge on summons. Mm. So and- it's a, it's a, you know, we're talking about a very big um, injection of police resources into mm-hmm. the area for what very seems like little. a very small result. Especially since, I mean, the drug diversion program is for those uh, with a small amount of drugs on them. It's a possession charge. And the idea of drug diversion is that it's meant to be education on just how bad drugs are. Uh, the problem there is um, it ends up being a little bit of an indoctrination process, from what I understand, because uh, the, the government has an abstinence-only approach uh, to drug use, apart from those drugs that we're allowed to have, like a nice beer, right? Which, you know, yeah. your, your prime minister can get up and chug a beer um then that's fine but uh you know have a have an mdma yeah so essentially they just um kind of force you to make a mea culpa oh, i'm sorry and then yeah on, on with your day um I, I went through that when i was a teenager oh good good <laughs> yeah. fun yeah. um uh we're just about out of time but the, the few events coming up oh uh, and also medical cannabis there was so yeah medical cannabis this week there was the greens leader senator di natale brought forward a, a motion to um change the classification of medical cannabis under the Therapeutic Goods Administration so that people could import their own cannabis from, um, you know, reputable suppliers overseas, presumably. Mm. Because one of the big problems is patient access right now. And that's something that we've talked about a lot on the show is, is there's a lot of people out there that are already using medical cannabis or that there's a plausible reason to think they could get some benefit from it. And they can't get access right now. And these compassionate suppliers that are out there often giving away medical cannabis products are still getting caught up in the legal system. Mm. So it was an attempt to try and rectify that situation. The vote went straight down the line. It was a tie at 32 votes each. Um, The Greens voted with, uh, Labor voted with the Greens. And um, I think Darren Hinch's party also... Well, Darren, um, Darren Hinch was at Mardi Gras last week. Yeah, weekend, well, and so, he spoke yeah. about that in Parliament. He spoke about the people that he's seen that have been helped by medical cannabis mm. and those that have been caught up in the legal system through trying to provide medical cannabis for themselves or their families. Um, strangely, though, the One Nation Party voted against it. Which... Even though Pauline Hanson has been trying to get the <clears throat> medical cannabis vote, apparently. Well, she 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 won some, you know, like support uh, based on her medical cannabis position. And Are um, we really surprised? that One Nation is inconsistent and shitty? Well, I, I think that um, they may have underestimated how much it's going to cost them. There's there's a lot Good. of people, particularly in Queensland, in the medical cannabis uh, user groups that are um, ostensibly One Nation supporters. Mm. Uh, and, and the stance on medical cannabis is one of the things really swaying that support. So... 
they've been getting burned pretty hard on on the social media and Good. within their own support base. So <laughs> not a fan of that party. If you can't no, think. neither am I. But um, you know, like I, I I didn't think that they would go that way. No. On, on this I thought legislation. They, yeah, I thought that they were going to um, use that for some cheap political point scoring. But obviously, that's uh, yeah. I wonder if they had to do a little. Well, shady given deals, that it was so. such a close vote, I don't think we've heard the last of it. I think it'll come around again in some form. Uh, this week, if you're looking for something to do on Wednesday evening, Julian Palmer, uh, who's an author and uh, global uh, global trotter, I suppose, uh, is doing a talk on the politics of ayahuasca. It's Wednesday night, 7.30 until 9.30 at Mycelium Studios, Factory 1, 10 to 12, Moreland Road. Uh, we'll post the details on Psychedelia Inside- uh, Inside- Facebook page. Entry is $15. Uh, copies of Julian's book, Articulations, uh, will also be available uh, for purchase. It'll be a 90-minute talk with 30 minutes for Q&A. Uh, very interesting man. He's uh, controversial in the community as well. Um, but, you know, the most interesting people often are a little bit controversial. Um, he's just returned from uh well returned not too long ago from a uh, long amount of time overseas and he'll be off overseas again soon so if that's something that interests you the politics of ayahuasca wednesday night 7 30 uh in, any other events uh, going on this week oh no oh it is the, the international harm reduction conference is on right now in uh, uh, Qu- quebec uh montreal Montreal. Montreal. Yeah. Um, in Montreal, Penny Hill um, from SSDP and also who you hear on the program semi-regularly when she's not on the other side of the world um, is there and we will with, certainly... Um, with, with Nick, Nick Kent, Kent from- the chapter leader from SSDP at Melbourne Uni. They're presenting a poster on their um, reagent kit distribution program at Melbourne Uni. You enjoy the rest of your Sunday afternoon. Uh, follow us on social media and uh, also subscribe to the podcast 3cr.org.au. Querying the air up next. See ya. This is insane. Psychedelia. Comments, complaints, or contributions are welcome. Jump on the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au, and head to the Psychedelia program page. Get in contact with us on Facebook or Twitter, or send us an email. Psychedelia does not condone or condemn people who use drugs for their choices. Our aim is to present the diverse intersections of psychoactive drugs and society. If you are concerned about your own drug use or a friend's drug use, DirectLine provides a free and confidential counselling service 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Call 1-800-888-236. In Psychedelia, we'll be back on 3CR from 2pm next Sunday. You've been listening to a 3CR community radio podcast of In Psychedelia. Find us on Facebook and Twitter.